You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. All right, Real Estate Runway family, Today, we're going to talk about marketing and sales. I know you don't listen to real estate podcasts to talk about marketing and sales, but whether you like it or not, you are in marketing and sales in some capacity. So let's talk about where we are in that process, where you might be. And our friend Justin Moy is going to join us, who is a bit of an expert in this area. And by the way, if you get any value out of this podcast, please go and give us a five-star review. All it takes is scroll down, hit the button in Apple Podcasts, it really helps us get in front of more people. And that's the only way to grow. So with that said, let's hop into the show. Here we go. All right, Real Estate Runway family, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast. I'm your host, Chad Sutton, and we are powered by Quattro Capital, as always. Here today with my dear friend, Justin Moy from Perpetual Wealth Capital. This guy has had seven years of real estate experience. He's currently syndicating apartments, which kind of makes him relevant to our space a little bit. And he has an extensive marketing and sales background, which is really going to be what we're diving into today. So Justin, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing today? Well, Chad, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. I uh, hope we can deliver some serious value in a, in a short amount of time for the listeners here. So that's what we're here to do. Absolutely. So tell me real quick, just kind of give me a little bit of your background, what got you into real estate, a little bit about your sales and marketing background, and then we'll get into the meat of the show today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what got me into real estate ultimately was, was a series of events that uh, were the result of me wanting to avoid any type of formal schooling. I hate school, always have, barely scooched my way past high school. And ultimately, you know, when high school time was up and I didn't apply to any colleges, uh, I was sitting there thinking, well, what am I going to do to make money? Because uh, at the time, my parents told me, hey, you got to go to college. You got to get a degree. That's what everybody was doing. None of my parents have degrees. And so they always said, hey, you're going to have limited options if you don't do that. So went to a junior college again, half-assed my way there with the whole time scheming on how I could avoid this and still make great money. Well, I knew a car salesman. He made great money. I knew an insurance broker. He made great money. And I knew a real estate agent who she had sold us our house out in the Bay Area in California. And she made great money. And so, you know, I crushed the numbers. Everybody does that when they're kind of buying or selling a home. They do the math like, man, two, three percent. This is $800,000. Okay. I, I can kind of figure that out. And so, Ultimately, I got my real estate license and I started slinging real estate in what was at the time between the third and the fourth most competitive market in the country. We actually had a listing that was on a million dollar listing, San Francisco. And so here I am, 19 year old kid, slinging $2 million homes. My average sale was $2.2 million. I was making incredible money. And I felt a deep calling to join the, the military out of the blue. Don't ask me why. Um, but again, just, just kind of had that thing, that bug that I need to get more experience. And once I did, I had that GI bill that, you know, made me want to use it. So went to college and now after college, here we are still in the real estate game, just as a different, you know, owner operator instead of brokering. So that's the 10,000 foot view, the push you all the way through the last, you know, nine, 10, 11 years of my life. Um, that's how I, I came here as, a, as an operator now, an investor. Now, it's kind of funny. You ask a different question, you get a different result. And in some cases, you know, you can take the, the average way everyone else goes and that's, that's fine. It, it works as well, but there are other ways to make money than going with a college degree or, or something that gets you that, you know, that type of a career path. So kudos for figuring that out. 
that kind of leads us into what we're going to talk about today, a little bit about why marketing and sales is important, no matter what aspect of this business you're in. And by this business, I'm talking real estate syndication, okay? Whether you're, or whether you're just in acquisitions you know, mode, buying for your own personal portfolio, tell the audience why you and I think it is important for you know, an individual to realize that they are in marketing and sales, no matter what it is they're doing. Yeah. So I'm a really, really, my whole life has been sales and marketing, right? And so the common things of all those jobs that I told you that were paying really well, I mean, they're all salespeople. And to me, I knew that I would be good at anything that I really dove into both feet because to be blunt, I looked at the industries and said, man, those are people who here who are a lot, in my opinion, less qualified than me, not in real estate investing, but in car sales and real estate sales and insurance brokering. And man, they're making money hand over fist because they were able to follow a process. And sales and and marketing is a lot about processes. So when I was in a real estate sales, it was ask 25 people a day if they're moving. That was it. I don't care how you do it or where you do it. I would stand outside of grocery stores and do it. I would make cold calls. It didn't matter. My, my broker told me, if you just ask 25 people every single day without exception, if they are going to move in the next 12 months, you, and eventually you'll be successful. So I said, sure. Now that really dove me down that path of sales and marketing. Now to me, every single person in the professional world is in sales and marketing in some capacity. I had this sales mentor who told me something and it changed the way that I, I view things. It said, everybody's in a sales role. The difference is just if your income is, is tied to, if you have unlimited income potential, because if you are just going to a regular nine to five and you have a fixed salary, well, it's not that you cannot work. You're still expected to work and, and perform and in some cases even hit certain KPIs, but they're just going to pay you the same every single time. Now you take that to sales and you say, hey, if you hit these KPIs, you'll make $100,000. If you hit these KPIs, you'll make 200. If you hit these, you'll make three. So to me, it was that control. And once I heard that, that man, everybody's in sales. It's just, is your earning capped or not? That's really what hit me to really dive into. And I've been a student of sales and marketing. Uh, I'm constantly reading books, seeking mentors, and it's really helped propel me you know, in the progress that we have for the syndications. Because whether you are in the sales and marketing, talking to investors or talking to brokers, which is what the acquisitions team is, right? Um, a lot of people get into acquisitions because they think, oh, I don't need to talk to anybody. That's rarely the case. It's rarely the case. At some point in that team, somebody is talking and selling and, and marketing just to brokers. And so that's really, really important. I think the, the type of marketing you do is a little bit different. You're more relationship marketing where not like you're going to send flyers and postcards to brokerages. I mean, you probably could, but it's how can you bring brokers or investors or whoever you're targeting from what I call the fringe, which is everybody outside there in the world who maybe you know they exist, maybe you don't. They're just kind of out in the fringe. They're in maybe your fourth or fifth layer of your relationship. And how do I bring them closer and closer into my center, into my real sphere of influence where now we have each other in our phones, we're texting outside of working hours and and you know we're calling each other and getting those opportunities. So 100%, this role especially is huge in the sales and marketing, especially to really increase your opportunities and really open up your capacity to do a lot of business. You know, I love where you just took that. And, and I could argue, you know, that if you're a parent, you know, you're, you're selling to your child what you want them to do. And it, it becomes a negotiation, right? I mean, that that is a sales and marketing process. It's like, hey, here's why we're going to go do this. And here's why it's going to be fun for you. So you should listen. And then you're making a sale, you know? <laughs> so that, that's a bit of a stretch. I get it. I get it. But you know, 
that is a really, I love, I want to come back to what you just said. And I've heard this many times before that everyone is in sales in some capacity. A distinction that I just heard was the only difference is, is your income tied to it, you know? So that's an interesting thing to think about. And again, whether you are someone who, you know, I was an engineer who reported to certain levels of the company and I had a salary, you know, I was not, I was paid, granted there's performance thresholds, I guess, where if I didn't perform at that level, I'd be fired. But no matter how fast or better I performed, I mean, I may have got a better bonus, you know, not a bonus, a salary increase next year, but it was never commensurate with what I delivered to the company. So that's interesting. Sometimes your income is tied to it. Sometimes it is not. In the obvious case, it is the sales professional. So, you know, we mentioned a couple of areas that when you're in this business, you're in sales and marketing, whether you think you are or not. One of them is investor relations, those who are out there talking to the private equity and the equity, large equity groups who will be funding your deal, you know, alongside of the capital or the the co-sponsors or the sponsors co-investment, excuse me, I can speak English today. One of them is working on the acquisition time, selling to a broker who's by the way's commission is tied to your performance that your company will perform and get them paid ultimately, right? That is a sales tactic. And the third, I would venture, maybe we can talk through the three of these. When you have a value add plan in place, who is the sales and marketing team you're going to put in place to not only make sure that property is seen by your ideal client or resident, for example, in the case of an apartment building or in the case of a commercial office, the right company that will come in and lease that, and, you know, how are we going to be able to get top dollar for that? I mean, you're selling a product, a finished piece of real estate dwelling that someone can live in. So maybe let's start with the, the investor relations side, and maybe we can talk a little bit about how those people are in sales and marketing and some things we can do better. And we'll just kind of jump to the three pillars if we have time and see what we can do there. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to the in- investor, this is actually one of the best kind of quick and dirty, I don't want to call it a tactic method, whatever you want to say for a salesperson's role is first is your job as a salesperson is to take your prospect, whoever that is, whoever's talking to you. And first thing is to find out if what your product is right for them, right? So going back to that investor, hey, if they're looking for some super heavy cash flow long-term deal and you have a two-year flip that you're doing, okay, your job is to, to find that out quickly and part ways as friends and say, hey, we'll get you on the next long-term cash flow deal we have. Or maybe they like that market, you're not there right now. You know? So the first thing is to make sure that you match up. Now, if you match up- So you mean not selling a car to someone who's looking for a house? Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and um, you know, the whole with Jordan Belfort, if anybody's familiar, the Wolf of Wall Street, and he was always touted as a, an extremely good salesperson. If you look at the movie, he he has this line where he goes, sell me this pen, right? One of his associates says, I'm the best salesperson here. And he goes, well, then sell me this pen. If you've never heard the, you know, quote unquote solution to that riddle, that sales riddle, the correct answer is, well, do you need a pen? It's not to start talking about the pen because nobody cares. Jordan Belfort has this thing where he says, when he's prospecting, like going door to door, he's not selling, he's marketing. He's, he's knocking on doors saying, hey, I have this pen. Do you want to buy it? If they say no, okay, great. On to the next. You're not going to sell somebody something that they don't need, want, or care about. So the first step, find out if they know about it, care about it, and want it, right? If it matches up with their goals. And if it does, now your goal is to essentially get them to take action. Now, people take action based on certainty. So you would kind of mention that with the brokers, but everybody really does this. You think of certainty on a scale of one to 10. 
10 meaning you're absolutely sure 100% this is going to work, whether it's your, so let's call it your projections. This guy's going to double my money in five years. I'm a 10, I'm 100% certain. How likely is that investor to invest? 100%, right? 100%. Now, what if they're a nine? Okay, they probably will still invest. Now, what if they're an eight? Probably. If they're a seven, maybe it gets a little murky and, and then it just goes down. Right. So your goal is to take them from, let's say zero. If they don't know who you are, this is your first investor call to 10. And it doesn't have to happen right on that deal. It doesn't have to happen right away. And you don't even need to take them all the way to 10 because people have different thresholds for when they'll take action. Some people, maybe they'll roll the dice on a five. Like, sure, this might work. This might not. I don't know. We'll invest and see what happens. So that's your goal is to push their level of certainty to an acceptable place for them to make that decision. And the best way you do that is to really ask what they're looking for. So going back to this analogy, I actually skipped right over it. Um, as one of the best things that I've heard as sort of a, a methodology to selling is your goal is to paint this picture. Now, if you were going to paint a picture for somebody, you don't just start painting a picture. You ask them, well, what do you want this picture to look like? Is it a person? Is it a caricature, right. the scenery, whatever. So by asking those questions, you know what kind of person, what kind of picture this person wants to look at after. And you can paint the picture perfectly, or you could call it your pitch or whatever the case may be, to exactly what this person is looking for. Okay, so why are you investing? Okay, you want to build generational wealth, you want cash flow, you want safety. Okay, where are you investing from? You're pulling from your portfolio. So once you have all this information, now you know exactly what's important to that investor and exactly what points of the deal you should be focusing on to really drive home why this is or is not a good deal for them or good opportunity for them. So that's the biggest thing is ask a lot of questions. A lot of people like to talk so much about why their deal is so good, why their team is so good. But then if you bother to ask questions first, you might find out that they don't really care about how long your team has been in business or how many assets in the management they want. They just want somebody who they feel good about. But you spent all this time talking about your AUM and how much money you've raised in the past, but they just didn't care. So really asking them, what kind of picture do you want to see? And using that information to be able to paint the picture that, that they want and hit the points that are really important to them. So long-winded answer, probably kind of went on a little sales tangent there, but I love the topic, love talking about it. And, and I have a lot to say about it. I think that's perfect. And I think what you just kind of accentuated there is people need, they have a need to feel significant, right? In a world where everyone is being sold. There's a lot of shiny brochures out there, and especially in the world of investment, oftentimes the shinier the brochure, the more of a number you're going to feel like when you're part of that investment, right? Because that means they have a bigger marketing budget. So, you know, take your, your Fidelity commercials, for example, right? Can you call up the fund manager and ask them what's going on? No, you can't. So, you know, people really want to feel significant in this world. And, and what Justin has just discussed there is, a way to do that to make them feel significant is first, you know, don't make it about you, make it about them. What is it they're looking for? And he's right. I mean, not all deals are created equal. Some are cash flow heavy, some are appreciation heavy, some are a balance of both, some are very risky, some are like massive upside, but it could go wrong. You know, you got to figure out what their tolerance is and what they're after and make it about them. And that that's the first part that makes them feel significant. And then all along the way, you're not hitting them with your sales pitch, you know, and your, your numbers and your, you know, all the things that you're awesome, which may, they may not even care about. They may just want to be able to trust you to know, hey, am I going to get my money back when I put it in this deal? And is it going to grow? You know, a lot of times, you know, I mean, Quattro Capital, you're not going to see us 
putting out on paper the highest numbers. If you compared our offerings to everyone else, we're not, we're not showing the biggest numbers, but we have transference. So that is certainty, clarity, and confidence that we are able to, uh, to portray and a track record to show that we're going to hit it. And I'm sure you do, you have the same, you know, so it comes down to being, helping people feel significant in this world, which is a great segue, Justin, into the second part of our conversation in, you know, how does this apply to the, the acquisitions side of things and what would you do differently over there? Yeah. The acquisition side gets a little bit trickier because now you're selling to hardcore sales professionals. These brokers who are transacting eight figure deals, they've been there, they've done that. You know, a lot of the times you're going to hear some of the, if you study up on sales and sales strategies and tactics, you'll hear them doing the, the moves on you. Right. And so it gets a little bit different, but at the same time, everything is about that certainty. And especially in this business, because um, you know my time as a broker, even though I broker single family as opposed to commercial, it's all the same. The worst thing that can happen is your is your project falls out of escrow. The worst thing. That is the absolute thing that you want to avoid the most. That's why you hear it all the time. Yes, price matters, but it matters significantly less than certainty of close. So we've won a lot of deals because even we weren't the highest price, whether it was because of hard money, we transacted with them before, or I just instilled enough certainty on the, on the call with the broker that made them think to, to again, that one to 10 scale, they were certain enough that we were the team to get it done. So how do you instill that into the brokers? Well, I have one line actually. So a lot of times if you're breaking into a new market and you're calling brokers for the very first time, it's hard to get them to take you seriously. And I have this line that I like that, that I'll, I'll just close to the audience, but it's done me wonders every time we've gone into a new market and I'll ask them. By the time we get off the call, the very first call together, I'll say, you know, hey, Chad, it was great chatting with you. Before I let you go, one last question. They'll say, what's up? I'll say, what do you need from me to make you and your team confident in our abilities as serious buyers? And every time I've asked that question, it's like, wow, like it's always a pause on the other end. And usually they'll, they'll take a deep breath and they'll go, wow. Yeah. I guess, you know, give me any info about your team and, and you know, how many you've transacted and, and what, and, and a lot of what you even say, yeah, I've never heard that before. That, that, that's really awesome. And what it does is, first of all, it, it gets them to tell you what their reservations are because you're almost putting them on a spot and asking them. First thing is you're, you're standing out because you're asking them a question that nobody has ever asked them. And so they know you've done this before. And second, you're essentially putting them on the spot to put all their cards on the table and tell you what any reservations are. Or some people will say, you know, nothing right now. When we get your first, when we start sending you deals and we get your LOI, maybe we'll let's reconnect them which is totally fine. But the goal is to stand out and the goal is to say, hey, we're serious players and everything you do is to push them closer to that 10 certainty that you're the team to get this done. So that's how I do that. Anything you could do to stand out and really ask them very direct questions. The thing about salespeople is they're okay being asked direct questions because they're constantly asking their prospect direct questions. So don't be afraid to be a little bit more direct with them as well and, and put, have them put their cards on the table for what they need from you to push you to that upper echelon of, of buyers. That's pretty huge. And, and I think, you know, one thing we're taking for granted here is that, you know, in the previous discussion about investors, we, we went through the phase of what do they want, Right. I think it's pretty obvious what the broker wants. They want that commission in their pocket, you know? And so their question is, and so you kind of jump to what do you need for me to prove to you that I can give you what you want, you know, because now, now it's more of a, the product we're selling is performance and they need to know that we can perform. So I love that question in that, you know, it, it really makes them put their cards on the table. And in some cases they may not realize they're doing it, but 
what are your reservations about me and what can we mitigate? And I bet you a nickel if they come back with a, oh, well, um, hmm, how about these three things? And you send it to them because you've already got it prepared. They're, they're, they're going to be like, wow, okay, he done this before, you know? Yeah. That's the biggest thing is, is how new is this person? If you, you are a team that has your systems and processes down, here's the PDF we send, here's our presentation, here's us, here's our website, it's all put together. And now I'm asking you, hey, ask me for these things. You're going to stand out immensely. One thing I'm going to, I'll add to that in that it's important to build relationships with people you're trying to buy from and through. But remember, there are multiple personality types, right? And some like to talk about your day and, and your life and all that kind of stuff before they get to business. And some like to get right to the point. Um, this is not a general rule, but in, you know, a lot of what I've seen, the people who wind up being brokers are more that get to business type. They don't have time for BS. They don't have time for that. So you've got to find a way to be personable to where they will get to know you, like you, and then trust you, but be as concise as possible, right? And maybe some slight pleasantries enough to get the deal done or to get the conversation going, but don't spend time talking about your barbecue on Saturday unless they invite that conversation. Yeah. You know, these guys, these guys are thinking time is money, you know? Yeah. Especially for that first one, you know, that first call also on that first call, it's a really big obstacle. And I've actually heard this. If you ever gotten a telemarketing call, sometimes I'll pick them up for fun and you'll just hear like they heard a course that said, Oh, become friends with the person. Right. And, and so I've actually heard people at some point be on the phone and say, you know, hey, Chad, how's it going? You know, Dave Chad probably says, hey, it's going well. They go, how was your weekend? And it's like, what? You know, so you and can't- I'm like, who are you? Yeah, <laughs> what does this mean? You know, Joe, you can't just come out here and, and now, because they're, they're trying to move you down a funnel. Like, okay, build a relationship, ask about their weekend. Like, no, that wasn't appropriate for the time. You know, you can, but I totally agree with you. It's like you said, they will start to invite those conversations. But for me, it is more that let's get to business first. And then when I call you to follow up on my LOI, yeah, maybe I'll find out what your weekend was like. But at the initial one, yeah, they're still vetting you and you're still vetting them. Honestly, you don't know if this broker is a POS. We have POS brokers in, in my market who list junk and lie on all their OMs. And yes, you know, we're still vetting them as well. So yeah, that conversation will come, but don't feel forced. Don't, don't have in the back of your mind, like, oh, I need to know, like, and trust this person. Yes, but that will come. Don't spring it out of the blue. Like, what are you doing this weekend? Like, what are your hobbies? You know, it's just going to be weird like that. So I, I totally agree with you. I love it. Well, let's pivot over to our third prong of this and really another major area that sales and marketing matters. This was probably a little more obvious, but let's talk about the team you're employing to execute on your value plan. And maybe some things, you know, you want to be looking for in a quality sales and marketing team, which in this case, it's literally sales and marketing. The leasing representatives are in sales. They are selling a product to the residents. And then you're going to have a marketing team. And sometimes they're one and the same. I don't know. It depends on your management company or your structure. But let's maybe let's talk about some things on that side that you see they might be able to do. You know, maybe we're looking for in good individuals on that side of the business. Yeah. So for me, for when it comes to that, essentially, I call everything after the transaction. So essentially that fulfillment. So when it comes to that fulfillment of it, I want to know that the team I put in place has clarity on the situation. So when it comes to most of the time, this will be for your property managers and you're kind of managing them. What kind of tenants live here? 
what do they like? Do they like flashy things? Do they like to, to host parties? Are these more the, Hey, though they work nights, so they don't really care. They just need a bed to sleep in. You know, what is, I want to make sure that that team is clear on who this property is for, or if they think, Hey, this property right now is for this tenant, but I think there's a lot of these tenants moving in and that's who we really want. And here's how we do it. Here's how we, we transform this property from this tenant to this tenant. All those things are great. But again, when I'm interviewing property managers, unbeknownst to them, they're pushing me to that 10, like I said, or as close as we can be to certainty that this is the person for us. So for me, the goal is the biggest one. But then I like to look at their listings. Like if I look at some of the, what other apartments do you manage? And I'll go on apartments.com or Zillow or whatever medium they say is the, the medium to advertising in this community. And I'll read it. If it says three beds, two bath, move in ASAP. Okay. That kind of sucks. You know, you're not really taking this seriously. Or if I see that they are really talking about the community and using words that will trigger, Hey, the kind of tenants that we want. And I could tell they just cared more about it. Those are the people that I want to work with. But for me, the first step is clarity. If you're just telling me, yeah, we'll just, we're going to move in a ton of people and not really have a plan for it or who those people are going to be. I'm not, again, I'm not so close to that 10 as I need to be to really feel like, you know what you're doing. You've done this many times before and, and you have the systems and processes in place. You're just going to run us through the ones that are already proven to work and really get us across the finish line of our project. So to me, it's that clarity is that number one. And then let me see your work. And when we have an asset manager or a property manager, we will call and we'll cold call them and just say, act as a, like we're a tenant. We have VAs that do these or that inquire online. And we want to see how they respond. We want to see if I say, oh, you know, what's the neighborhood like? We want to see how they talk about the neighborhood and the community and what we're building there. So all of those really, really matter for that fulfillment side, especially if you're like repositioning a property, you are cleaning up that tenant base big time and you're totally redoing things. So those things, the clarity, testing out their work, and then also you know, keeping them on their toes with a couple of, of uh, secret shoppers as well. Those are the three biggest things that we like. I love that. And, and, you know, in any business you're in, understanding who your customer is, I think is of paramount importance, right? And one thing that, you know, we have our management companies do, and, you know, we work with a very elite group called Vicinia Property Management. I'll, I'll name drop them on here. They're that good. But we, you know, they actually have eons of demographic data and they have, you know, little, little collections of resident profiles. And it's like, okay, here's the property. What's its highest and best use? Is it an A minus a B plus? What are we going to do with it? You know? And then there are proven strategies for how to market to that bucket of people. You know, what, what buzzwords you hit them, what colors of paint? I mean, to the point of understanding, wow, this, this resident profile will pick this shade of blue every single time over a gray. I had no idea that data was out there, Justin, but knowing your customer, you, you can never know your customer too much, I guess is my point. And then further putting people in place who are armed with that information and can actually know how to target that customer. Your, mar your marketing dollars will go so much farther, so much farther exactly. than you have that information. Yeah. And think about the certainty that you as an owner felt. If I'm this property manager and I slam this binder. I was a 12, kid, dude. I was yeah, a 12. exactly. This person's getting hired. I almost don't care what you charge. Yeah. It is because you are so certain, man, these guys have done this forever. They know exactly what they're doing. They bothered to collect the information to move the needle 1%, a half a percent for all their owners. Mm -hmm. These are the guys, like you said, I'm a 12, I'm a 12 on them too. And, and they're the real deal. So it's the same, just you're on the other side of that. How can we bring these people we're talking to, to a 12 and get this closed up? 
That's right, brother. Well, we're going to mic drop on that moment right there. This has been a fantastic episode. Marketing and sales, folks, it is of paramount importance. But now, before we let Justin get back to what he does best, that is, you know, closing deals and, and raising money, we're going to put him through the Quattro Trio. Just a couple of questions we'd like to ask you here on the show to get to know you a little bit better. How's that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it. All right. So tell me, what is your superpower in your business? And my superpower kind of gave it away here, but I'm a big sales, marketing, and people guy. I love to speak. I love to talk real estate. I love to talk to like-minded people, sales psychology, consumer psychology, love to do all of those things. So anything that puts me in front of other people is a role that I typically do very well in. Fantastic. Now we've heard a lot of reasons today why you're awesome and why your company's awesome, but give me some dirt. What is one of your biggest mistakes in life or in business, dealer's choice, and what did it teach you? Yeah. So that's really great because I, my biggest, and in my opinion, it was super embarrassing at the time. Looking back, I'm not embarrassed anymore, but I actually always wanted to be an entrepreneur from a fairly young age. And so back in home, I think this was before the real estate business, uh, the real estate brokerage, I was running a sort of Postmates style business before technology really made Postmates possible. So I think I had like a Wix website and I would just deliver like household goods. I had like toilet paper and like a storage unit, toothpaste, like all, I could just buy stuff from Costco, put it in the storage unit and sell it. I mean, so every time I get an order, I would drive to the, the storage unit, pick it up and then drop it off. My thing was I would deliver it that day all around terrible business idea. I didn't have the technology to know how to really run a business. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was making like three or four bucks per sale. And overall, I, I try to do everything myself. I think that was the biggest point of immaturity for me was almost having a smug personality of, I don't need other people's help. And if I would have just asked somebody, they would have told me, this is an awful idea. <laughs> this will never work. And there's not enough money in it. And you can't possibly never get sick. So you can't run all these orders all the time. And so that really taught me, Hey, you've got to seek out mentors. You've got to seek out criticism and seek out ways why this won't work. And that's really helped me. That business lasted, you know, a couple months. It was a ton of work. I lost a ton of money. I wish I could do it again, but it really taught me to seek out mentors. That was the biggest thing for me because a mentor would have, would have helped me avoid that whole thing. <laughs> Wow. That is, that is amazing. And you, there were so many nuggets in there. So folks rewind that about 20 seconds. Listen to that one more time. Okay. Now, third question. <laughs> All right. Edit that out folks. <laughs> I couldn't hit the mute button fast enough. Okay. We're going to cut back in three, two, and third question, Justin. So what free gift do you have that you might be able to provide to the audience and where can they find it? Absolutely. So I love educating people on multifamily, specifically syndications, but really real estate in general. I'm super, super, super passionate about it. I have a free ebook that I send everybody to. You can find it at thedefinitiveguidebook.com. It's called long name here. It's called the definitive guide to building generational wealth and passive cash flow through multifamily real estate. I dissect multifamily real estate syndications and I compare it really and stress test it to other methods of real estate investing of short-term rentals, long-term single family, uh, you have flips, everything there. I really wanted to make one cohesive resource where people who kind of knew that real estate was what they wanted to do, but weren't a hundred percent sure on what methodology or what syndications were, or how to get into multifamily. Um, I really wanted to make one thing for it. So the definitiveguidebook.com. Check it out. Absolutely free. First name, email. I'll send it over to you. And that's it. Hopefully I can add some value with you there as well. 
And folks, as always, just scroll down and whatever modality you're listening to this podcast on, it will be in the show notes. I'm actually, I just clicked that link. I'm going to go check that out. That's pretty cool. Never, never heard that being offered before. So good work, Justin. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah, man. Last question. I'm going to add a fourth one. You know, we at Quattro believe in philanthropy. It's one of our four pillars, hence the name Quattro. I'd love to know what is your giving mechanism? You know, what do you, what causes do you support? In some cases, we've had listeners actually give on your behalf and reach out and notify the listener. So, or the, the, the host, the guest, there are three people in a podcast, a listener, a host, and a guest, which one are you? Okay. Justin, what do you think? Yeah. So I'm really, really passionate about anything that has to do with kids. I feel like that's something that you really can't control kind of the life that you were given uh, specifically with hunger. And so feed my starving children is a big kind of global one that, that I'm at a lot. And uh, there's one locally out here in Arizona called feed my hungry children. So a little bit of a spinoff and what thing that they do, they actually combine two of my passions, which is uh, childhood hunger and uh, food waste. So they will actually come around here to local stores, pick up food that's about to expire and then take it over to uh, facilities that, that give that to children around the Phoenix Valley. So um, two causes I'm really, really passionate about. Uh, you know, I encourage you, hey, give in your own way, give it to those organizations that are local and, and don't have you know, million dollar marketing budgets to, to put out there. So really give it, giving is, is big for me, specifically around people who I feel never really had a chance all right, with those kids. So those are some things I'm passionate about. I couldn't agree more. I think my my personal soft spot is children just because they are they're given the hand they're dealt, you know, and, and they can't change their cards, whereas most of us have played our hand, you know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, very good. Well, Justin, this has been an action packed podcast. If the listeners want to reach out and get in touch with you, maybe invest with you, poke your mind about sales and marketing tactics. What's the best way to do that? Yeah. Send me an email, justin at perpetualwealthcapital.com. I'm, I'm always available. Like I love talking about real estate. I go on every podcast I can. I have my own podcast just so I could talk about it more uh, beyond my friends and family. Hit me up with anything, anything troubling you, anything you need to know. Fantastic. Well, that will be in the show notes as always. So folks, this has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. All right. Until next time, over and out. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.